0: Hello everyone and welcome to Shot Reverse Shot, a film and television podcast in which we talk about a theme which changes from episode to episode. My name's Edmund Davis and joining me this week through the miracle of satellite technology is Matt Risby.
1: Hi Matt, how's it going? Hey man, I'm good. Following on from... A conversation we had a few weeks ago about fitness and mm-hmm. the desire to discover some drug that would recreate the feeling you get after doing fitness activities. Um, I am really still searching for that drug <laughs> because mm. I've I've run a 10-kilometer run today, which is a foolhardy endeavor. I wouldn't recommend it. Um, yeah. And I feel terrible now. Um, my body feels terrible. I feel good that I've done it in myself. But then I did eat, like, six biscuits and pecan pie. And... <laughs> just all the food I can stick in my face because in, in some way I feel like that balances out. I've burnt those calories off now. I've got those. They're in the bank.
0: Mm, is that how it works? Yeah, yeah it's all kind of like... Uh, it's, it's like Tetris. You know, the kind of the pieces fall down, they disappear, and you have to add more in. Mm-hmm. I've been playing oh, yeah. a lot of Tetris this week, so I feel like that's my understanding of everything is determined by blocks falling down. Mm. I want... I can't remember...
1: If there's a stand-up. I can't remember who it is. He describes... The long thin piece in Tetris is the cool guy who turns up at the party. Like you wait for ages <laughs> for him to arrive. there's like, hey, this guy's here. We could. All, it's great now. Like, who was that? I think it might be Bo Burnham. I think
0: that sounds like a Burnham bit.
1: Yeah, that's pretty uh, clear.
0: There was a there was a tweet last week or two weeks ago. Or something where someone just basically said, you know, after giving it much thought, I've decided my favorite t- uh, Tetris piece is the T T shape because. Mm-hmm. You know, you can do a lot of things with that guy. Whenever I see him, I think, ah, here is a friend. <laughs> I just liked I really like the phrase, ah, here is a friend.
1: Mm. Yeah, yeah. I like. I used to like this the the four by four. You know, the the block, the square.
0: Mm. Yeah.
1: The two by two. Sorry. Although I felt like it, it lacked grace, and mm. it was not the most. Uh, it wasn't a precision tool. No. Um. I enjoyed the fact that it felt like it was taking up more space, even though I, it really technically wasn't. <laughs> it was still just four bits. But it felt yeah. like big. It felt blocky. It felt substantial. Anyway, this is our favourite Tetris pieces we've managed Ed,
0: yeah, we're gonna rank 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 all four of them <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, at number one. <laughs> I have also been trying to do some fitness stuff this week, further to our conversation. Uh, I was hampered by this in the fact that I stubbed my toe on a table and it really, really hurt and got very swollen and bruised earlier in the week. So it's fine, more or less now, but I haven't really been able to run on it. So I decided, well, I'm still going to try and get into the routine of going and exercising again. So I've been going to the gym and been doing lots of... Lots of weights stuff mainly and uh, you know, kind of working on my core as they say. And on one level it's like, ah, oh, it's like nice how much residual fitness is there that, you know, I haven't done a lot of this stuff in this intensity in a while and I can still do it. But for the like six hours afterwards I'm always just incredibly tired and achy. <laughs> and hmm. Yeah. It's like it's like you say about that think of like you just you feel very good about it but then you you go and Buy a bag of jelly babies and just kind of sit there and, <laughs> and eat it all mm. because you think this I've earned this. This yeah. seems right.
1: Mm. Eat eat your eat your feelings. It's definitely mm. how I would recommend getting through fitness uh, fitness things.
0: <laughs> yeah, because you I also think, you, think you, you read those stories like you know that guy who lived off the rocks diet for a week or whatever. And you think I could I I'm going to do something like that, but it's going to be my I'm going to make some adjustments to it. I'm not going to eat seven pounds of salmon a day. I'm going to eat one bag of Jelly Babies occasionally. And mm. I really feel as if that's heading out on the right path. I'll get, I'll get to the fish. <laughs> I, I once saw a documentary
1: about... It was a bit like Pumping Iron, the documentary with mm. Arnold Schwarzenegger, but it was, it was in Britain, and it was focusing on like British bodybuilders. Mm. And it wasn't quite as glamorous as Pumping Iron, which is not a glamorous film. I would no. uh, go so much to say that, but there was a bit it was this guy it was like a window cleaner, and he was saying, "Oh, you know, I kind of I, I try and get as much protein as I can, so I drink this." And he had his flask, and I was like, oh, "It's like a protein shake or something." No, it was like twenty six tins of blitz tuna. He was drinking <laughs> a tuna smoothie, which is, God. I mean, I'm like, oh, come on, guys, like, is it is it worth it?
0: Mm. Is it really yeah. worth what are you doing to yourself?
1: So anyway, I've got a tuna smoothie um, <laughs> to help replenish all the. Uh, the protein I lost on that run.
0: Yeah, and I'm getting up at I'm getting up at two a.m. to exercise like Mark Wahlberg, um, mm-hmm. scheduled in plenty of office slash family time. Yeah, get that uh, round
1: of golf in at five a.m.
0: God, <laughs> <laughs> I think about that way too often. That yeah. that schedule and what a thoroughly miserable sounding <laughs> life it sounds like.
1: Mm, yeah, absolutely.
0: So we'll go on to the news for this week, and it's I mean. It wasn't a quiet news week, in general. <laughs> like mm. it was a, a week in which a lot of a lot of very seismic news events all kind of unfurled in the course of forty-eight hours. But in terms of entertainment news, not much happened. There was the Emmys, which were kind of a little bit boring. Nice that mm-hmm. Barry did well, but uh, other than that, not a huge amount really happened with that. Just the other day. Uh, it was announced that spider-man will be still in the mcu having discussions having broken down between disney and sony earlier in the summer when it seemed like they wouldn't be able to reach an agreement previously they had an agreement in place where disney got five percent of the profits from the sony spider-man movies and they in turn got to use spider-man in the mcu movies and they wanted 50 percent. sony said that's way too much and so they kind of broke off discussions But everyone, yeah, there's much rending of garments online about Spider-Man potentially not being in the MCU. But uh, it basically resolved itself. It was just a negotiating tactic, which seems to have worked because now Disney and Sony have reached a new agreement whereby Disney get 25% of the profits. So not as much as they wanted, more than Sony was initially willing to give, but more or less the same arrangement that they had before where... Sony get the prestige and the goodwill of what Marvel have built up over the course of the last decade, and Marvel get to use one of their most popular characters. So it feels like uh, just there was a lot of huffing and puffing online for no real reason, because <laughs> mm. this is this is more or less the outcome that I think a lot of people expected. Mm. Uh, it's just so good to see. Two such scrappy underdogs,
1: um, Mm. finally able to, um, to make great art, um, and make more money. Um, Mm. yeah, kind of storming a teacup doesn't even begin to cover it. But the, 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 the kind of intense rage that some kind of basement dwellers froth themselves into was, uh, I keep keep saying like this is a new low, <laughs> um, but for the I mean I'm gonna get to in our in the main topic I'm gonna get to what I think might be the new low, but for a while this was it like people talking about you know trying to get Disney to buy Sony, um, oh yeah, would <laughs> like actively as well like yeah, I don't know whatever but yeah I'm glad that's all over. Um, it's yeah. almost
0: like it didn't need to happen in the first place. Could slap a Mickey Mouse decal on every PS4. And <laughs> you, could get, you could get the same effect. Mm. Shape the uh,
1: PS4 controller like Mickey's head.
0: Mm. That was a story that is fairly run-of-the-mill, I think, in most situations in terms of how these deals are made between corporations. But the it was interesting seeing how fan culture or stand culture really uh, amplified what was seem, seemingly kind of a fairly rudimentary and normal bit of kind of you know a game of you know game of corporate chicken essentially of seeing who would be able to blink first and who would be willing to shift their parameters ever so slightly on just how much how many millions of dollars they were going to get from the next Spider-Man movie that Sony puts out and the next MCU movie that uh, that Marvel put out.
1: Mm, yeah, yeah.
0: What else happened? Uh, in similar. Superhero news, Uh, the pictures were released this week of Brandon Ralph playing Superman again, because the Arrowverse, the collection of TV shows created by Greg Berlanti, that uh, includes Arrow, The Flash, Legends of Tomorrow, and I'm going to say there's probably a fourth one that I'm forgetting, because that whole thing has metastasized so much over the last couple of years. Is Um, Black Lightning the thing? That might be the one, yes. Gotham? Um, no, nope, Gotham just, isn't part of it.
1: I'm just saying things.
0: I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm pretty sure Gotham's not part of it.
1: He should cause... be. He's Batman, isn't it? Gotham. I mean, it should be with yeah. a name like that.
0: Eventually, it's going to be Batman. <laughs> yeah, because <laughs> like that's the whole thing with that show. Oh, I, is it?
1: I, is it Pennyworth? That thing about the the early days of the Butler.
0: I did see the uh, I did see posters for that. I think on the tube when I was going around London. Every time, it's just like I really don't understand why this exists, especially because in teen titans go to the movie there is a joke about oh alfred's getting his own movie now (laughs) okay this is this is literally that this is the Mm. thing that teen titans were made fun of yeah um but yeah so they every so often those shows that universe has crossover events where all the characters show up for some kind of big you know kind of showdown and they're doing uh, i think they're doing a crisis on infinite earths kind of thing where characters are going across to different universes, and one of the things they're doing in this is they're going to have Supergirl. That was the other one I was thinking of. Um, They're having different supermen, you know, uh, and in pursuit of that, they're bringing in Tom Welling, who played Clark Kent slash Superman for like a decade on Smallville and they're bringing in brandon ralph who played superman of course in superman returns and they released a picture of him in the suit as the character uh this kind of older superman with a little bit of gray in his hair and it looked very cool and as someone who really liked superman returns when it came out and was thought that it was a shame that he didn't get to play the character more times uh it's quite nice that he's getting the chance to to don the cape again even though it's a technically a different superman to the one that he portrayed in terms of the in-world continuity and in terms of the the universe that his character is going to come from
1: hmm has uh spider-man into the spider-verse kicked all this off do you think
0: uh, i think that probably made them think okay the time is right for this mm-hmm. because uh, like there's such a uh there's been so many of those kind of big crossover events in comics and i feel like a lot of the people who adapt those stories have felt a, for, for cinema have felt a certain timidity when it comes to adapting some of those like that's the reason why you're not getting you didn't get Thanos and all of the um the Infinity Gauntlet and everything until so deep into the MCU because it's like and that's a kind of a big crossover event we don't want to do it too early because people might not be on board for it. or even Civil War which I think was a lot more passable in mm. terms of you know it, it doesn't it it doesn't take too much to think okay superheroes uh, some people want them to register some people don't that's conflict that's fairly easy to grasp as opposed to okay there's this guy who's trying to collect all these gems in order to end half of life in the universe because he wants to fuck death um, mm. that's that's a bit much that's got, that's going to need some massaging uh, and some some adaptation but I think that the success of, of Infinity War and and Endgame and the success of um, the Avengers as a concept, you know, like, oh, all these characters exist on their own thing and they meet and they fight, and the success of Spider-Verse definitely suggests that people, that audience are more than happy to go along and say, kind of get taken along on a story like that, where they think, okay, I'm not 100% sure on what everyone's doing, but I'm along for the ride because it's fun seeing all of these different characters or these different versions of the same characters interacting with each other
1: mm. yeah i never really
0: like watched any of
1: it did i see smallville maybe i did who played lex Luthor in that a bold guy well, unsurprisingly Bold. Um, a bold choice etc etc
0: it was a it was a guy named mike michael rosenbaum that was the name of the guy who uh who played lex luther mm, okay. uh, though not bold in real life Okay. Just bold for the show. Yeah, I watched. I watched quite a lot of Smallville. I think I watched the first two seasons pretty religiously because it was a time when there wasn't a huge amount of superhero stuff. Mm. Certainly not on television, and there wasn't as much, uh, you know, on the on at cinemas either. You know, like because that show started in like two thousand and one, mm-hmm. uh, so you'd really just have the first X Men and Blade, and that was more or less it kind of like the big stuff that was happening at the time. So any chance to see a big superhero stuff was fun. And, and, you know, it was very much operating in the same vein of of Buffy, of like, okay, there's supernatural hero stuff happening, but also, you know, there's teen stuff, and, you know, oh, Clark's trying to get a date or whatever, which is kind of like a fun thing to balance, particularly, like, for me, for me, is like a 13 or 14-year-old. It's like, oh, this is fun. This is stuff I can relate to, as well as them fighting... Kryptonite infused gas monsters or whatever it was that they had to fight that week. Mm, uh, yeah, that'll happen. But I i drifted away from it after a, a couple of seasons and uh it was one of those shows like Supernatural, which I think has just ended or is ending, where I was always surprised to see that it was still on the air. Because it was one of those things it was one of those things I think Oh, I drifted away from it. I assumed millions of other people did as well. <laughs> uh mm. and apparently that was not the case.
1: Mm, yeah.
0: Any other news stories?
1: Nothing popped out. There was there was uh, the announcement that the uh, of the director for the Obi One series. Um, it's going to be Deborah Chow, who is directing a couple of episodes of The Mandalorian, and has mm-hmm. directed quite a bit of TV, like uh, Better Call Saul and Mr. Robot, and quite a few other bits. And it's good. Well, it's good. It's, you know, it's Disney, isn't it? But like, you know, they've they've committed to maybe using the Mandalorian to foster directors for other series. Cause there's a, a, a fairly credible rumor going around that Rick from a I can't say his surname. I don't, I've never heard it said. And the guy directed dope. For, yeah, yeah. Is that right? Fukiyama. Okay. Um, Makes he sense. is, uh, going to do the Cassian and Andor, um, show. Oh, cool. Um, so it's cool that they're kind of using the same people and kind of, you know, bringing a few different voices to, to pass, which is quite nice. Um, mm. And, yeah, and I was saying to you before we went on, uh, it certainly starts to sound like a more interesting proposition than when it was going to be a film directed by Stephen Daldry.
0: Yes, who everyone collectively seems to have decided not to give work to. Not mm. because he's done anything bad, but just because he's really fucking dull. <laughs> so yeah. that's a win for everyone, I think.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. But I, I think it was, like I say, it was a fairly slow week.
0: Mm-hmm. Yes, uh, which is good, because that means we have more time to get to our main topic this week, which is our winter preview, in which we talk about the films we're excited about coming out later on uh, in the year, now that we are in the midst of award season, uh, so much so that I think we probably should have done this a few weeks ago, <laughs> but mm-hmm. we uh, we had other things to do, you know, travel and things like that, which kind of got in the way, uh, and as such there have already been some fairly big films that I was certainly excited about, and and, and have you know done fairly well ad astra that you came out last week hustlers which we obviously talked about on the show last week has come out and has been a huge success and then mm-hmm. stuff that i'm uh oh um the day shall come the chris morris movie has just opened over here to mm-hmm. uh polarized reviews which sounds about right <laughs> yeah for, uh, sounds about right for a new chris morris vehicle and then in terms of stuff that i personally have no interest in but um I'm kind of happy to see doing well. The Downton Abbey movie has been really soaking up the Blue Rinse crowd over here. It's been doing very, very well. And I, I presume in the UK as well.
1: Yeah, I think it is. It feels like it's always out. But mm-hmm. yeah, I'm kind of... um, I'd, I'm not interested in it and I don't know anyone else who would be interested in it. I don't even know any old yeah. people that like it um so yeah, yeah i kind of it's one of them things that will be like inexplicably successful but i won't know who's who's uh kind of consuming it
0: yeah it's very much the um i don't know anyone who voted for nixon of our times <laughs> yeah yeah so yeah so september i think has already had uh, a few in- interesting movies that at the very least are not superhero <laughs> movies um that are a little bit different and really seem to usher in the time of year when you know we move a little bit away from blockbusters towards stuff that is nominally smaller and more thoughtful mm. um, so we'll now go on to uh, october and i say nominally and not superhero um but the one the first one i have on my list is of course joker
1: mm. yeah <laughs> the serious superhero movie of the year mm. and it's i'd like to call it the oh i i guess i have to see this film because a film which, when, when announced, I had no interest in when I saw the trailer for it and, you know, started to realise a bit more about it, I had no interest in. But then obviously it wins big at Venice and, you know, everyone's kind of talking about how it's great but problematic and now I guess we're going to have to see it, aren't we? Mm, yeah,
0: it's it's in that vein of, like, I'm not massively keen on a lot of the things i've seen of it i think visually it looks a little more interesting that a lot of the stuff certainly a lot of the stuff dc have been putting out more recently and it is kind of interesting to see them dc and warner brothers basically adopt a ah the continuity doesn't matter approach to these <laughs> to their movies of which is kind of more in keeping with the comics where you know you have different strands existing at the same time and not everything has, has to exist in the same continuity so that to me is is like interesting and at least represents something of a break from the more kind of sense of the, the amorphous goop of the Marvel approach. But yeah, like it's it's reached the stage now where the movie itself kind of doesn't matter so much because the discussion about it has overtaken it so much that you kind of feel like, well I guess I have to see Joker just so that I can have an opinion on it. Which is mm. probably not that healthy a way to live your life.
1: No, really isn't.
0: But um, like I like I like Joaquin Phoenix a lot as an actor. Uh, I do find him genuinely unsettling in the trailer from what I've seen. I'm not sure if that's I presume that's what the movie's going for because the Joker is meant to be a unsettling character. But yeah, there's just there's just something really weird. I think the fact that it is so clearly going for the king of comedy vibe mm-hmm. is the thing really that is that really puts me off in a major way because King of Comedy is a great movie, and I'm kind of thinking, well, why wouldn't I just want to watch King of Comedy? <laughs> yeah. Instead of a what what appears to be a rehash of it that also happens to feature the Joker.
1: Hmm, yeah.
0: It, it doesn't seem
1: to... I mean, I don't know. Are they going for... Is this going to be an origin story for more films, or is this just going to be like this weird kind of one-off that just exists?
0: I guess it depends on how well it does. Hmm.
1: Because
0: it seems to be more a case of them being like, okay, this is a weird one-off thing Cause as well. Like whacking Phoenix, isn't someone who does that many kind of big franchise-y sort or of stuff. Yeah. That's what so I'm thinking. It seems like it would make more sense for him to say, I'll do, I'll do like one. But I, I also did see an article somewhere saying that they had plans for a trilogy, but I don't know if that's just like, you know, the standard thing that gets said about every movie <laughs> now is like, oh yeah, we're going to adapt it. It's going to be a whole big thing.
1: Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, we originally envisaged it as a as a part of a trilogy is the kind of go-to phrase for creators who had an, un, had an, un, had an unexpected thing would do.
0: Mm, yeah, it's the real kind of back-to-the-future syndrome.
1: Mm, yeah, we had some ideas left over that weren't good enough. We'll try and mould those into two more films.
0: Yeah, although very few trilogies have the the problem that the back-to-the-future one did where... They 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 so did not expect that they would get to make three movies because the first one was such an ordeal to get made in the first place, mm. that the ending of the first movie completely fucked them when they were trying to write the second one. It's like, well, the girl's in the car, and I guess that means she's going to know the future of them, so we just got to knock her unconscious for the whole first act, <laughs> and like it, and like, change done. the actress. <laughs> yeah, and like that was a whole. The, like I remember listening to. A discussion with Robert Zemeckis and Bob Gale where they just talked about it and being like yeah if we'd known we'd made another one we wouldn't have put her in the car because it was just such a headache to try and work it out mm. uh, but yeah there is definitely a sense whenever anyone says oh yeah we have plans for a trilogy that it, there's a sense of like we're we think we now think this movie's gonna do well so we're gonna try and get people signed up for another couple
1: mm. yeah yeah we'll see how that goes
0: uh, but I do. I if if this one is uh, based on the King of Comedy, I hope they the next one's like Color of Money, and then the mm. third one will be Last Temptation of Christ.
1: Yeah, yeah, or at least get quirky After Hours in there, which mm. is uh, yeah, my all-time favorite. Lesser Scorsese to uh, well, I mean it's it's great film, but like it's you know not talked about often as much uh, as much as some of his other films.
0: Yeah, and if they repeat the trick of getting the lead actor of the film you're shamelessly ripping off to appear in, in a, a supporting role. Uh, you yeah. know, Griffin Dunn's always welcome.
1: Yeah, he's he's just directing, directing that documentary about Joan Didion. Uh, mm. I don't know if he, yeah, that's what he's done last, yeah. I think.
0: Yeah, and he got his teeth knocked out in succession recently. Oh, nice. Uh, <laughs> it's nice work if you can get it. Um, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, the, the Joker could knock his teeth out. Hmm i dare say so you probably could. Ideas already for you, Todd Phillips. Give us a bell. Mm-hmm. We've, we've got lists of actors and injuries they can sustain. <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah. Uh, but it's only Griffin done. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, we want to break out that American Wealth in London prosthetic again. Yeah. Uh, okay, uh, next up we have, for me, next one is uh, Gemini Man, the new film from Ang Lee, mm. who, uh, starring Will Smith and Will Smith. Uh mm-hmm using i'm going to say incredibly creepy looking technology to de-age him and make him seem like a younger version of himself uh will smith plays like a legendary kind of like soldier mercenary sort of figure who discovers that they've made a clone of him who is out to kill him and uh, i'm a big big fan of angley but we obviously we profiled him on this show years and years ago at this point and i i really enjoy his willingness to kind of experiment with technology, even when, you know, it doesn't really work out, like in the case of Billy Lynn's long halftime walk, where, you know, they had the whole super high frame rate thing, and then it wasn't shown in enough cinemas to really justify it. So if you saw it in any other one, it just looked really weird when you're watching super high frame rate at regular frame rate. But the, the, the de-aging effects in this do look uh genuinely kind of like remarkable, and I'm excited to see a big original action movie coming from someone like Angley, who always, you know, throughout his career, particularly, you know, once he had the huge success of something like, like Crouching Tiger behind him has really swung for the fences. Mm.
1: I had this noted down on my list as potentially a very, very big flop. Um yes. On the basis that irrespective of, the creative team behind it and Lee, you're right is always someone worth watching. It kind of looks shit. <laughs> yeah. It kind of looks, it kind of looks a bit, I mean, and I'm not saying like the trailer is, is, obviously kind of looks decent, but like the, the marketing behind it and kind of the way it's kind of being positioned as kind of Will Smith versus Will Smith, it doesn't look particularly inspiring and I, I can't see the audience for this film. And It's a shame because I I feel like Ang Lee kind of needs a hit, really. Mm. Um, He just seems to have been kind of like, since Life of Pi, he just seems to have been kind of dancing around the periphery.
0: Yeah, I think the audience for this are people who own the criterion of the ice storm and who went to see Jet Li's The One on opening weekend. It's basically Mm. me. It's just made for me. (laughs) But yeah, you're right. Like, I I think this is very much a movie where if it wasn't Ang Lee directing it, I probably wouldn't have it on my list because Mm -hmm. if it was just, I don't know...
1: Stephen Summers.
0: Yes, well, well, perfect choice. If this was just Mm. a Stephen Summers or someone directing it, (laughs) I would probably think, uh, you know, I'll catch it at some point. I'm sure I like Will Smith and it could be a a kind of a silly, fun, action, sci-fi romp. But, you know, Ang Lee being, you know, two-time Oscar winner, serious auteur, it does kind of elevate it a little bit for me and does make you know so maybe i'm cutting it more slack than i would be based purely on the premise and the materials that have been released but again i am also as you know someone who as a kid like poured through the like the star wars making of documentaries that used to come at the end of the vhs's um i am just always a sucker for someone being like hey we're trying out this new technology in a big in a big blockbuster maybe it'll work maybe it won't but we'll see like i'm always i'm always kind of drawn to people who are willing to take that much of a risk with other people's money
1: Mm, yeah it takes some some cojones and i think that they he's pushing the frame rate thing on this one as well but i don't know if it's in a much more low-key way
0: yeah i think i want to say this one no i was gonna say i think he wanted it done at 120 frames a second but i think that might be Someone else. I think that might have been James Cameron said he wants to do the next two, next couple of avatars at 123 frames a second. Um, but really? yeah, it's it's definitely not being pushed as like a big marketing push in the way that it was for uh, Billy Lynn or for The Hobbit, which. It's interesting because, like, there's actually probably more places that can handle it now because so many places ha- have digital projectors that are able to handle high frame rate in a way that wasn't as prevalent in, like, you know, even five years ago. But I think they realized that uh, most people don't care about frame rates.
1: Mm, yeah. I think it would be kind of like Angley and James Cameron trying to outdo each other a frame at a time like people trying to break the world speed rec- like land speed record it'd be mm. like 122 frames a second 124 <laughs> frames a second yeah it's kind of nonsense really isn't it I think
0: yeah I would like it if that was just they were just increments of one each time um, <laughs> one frame yeah although now both of them make films so infrequently that it'd be such a it would ironically be a very slow motion contest
1: <laughs> yeah yeah but it would be very smooth looking.
0: Mm. Oh yeah, be indistinguishable from real life and everyone'd get a headache.
1: Mm, yeah, yeah. Uh
0: I also have for this month I have uh The Lighthouse, the movie from Robert mm-hmm. Eggers uh starring Robert Pattinson Will Willem Dafoe and The Sea. Mm-hmm. And that seems to be more or less it. And maybe an octopus based on the trailer. Um, I'm very excited about this. The trailer looks fantastic. Uh, I saw it today before Ad Astra again. It is uh, one of the most uh, anxiety-inducing trailers I've seen in a long time. Not because of anything like scary happening, just that a lot of stuff is happening. It's very claustrophobic, um, mm-hmm. as you would expect from two people being trapped in a lighthouse. And, yeah, the, the reviews that have come out of uh, film festivals of it make it sound... Uh, like a riotous good time and I like both both those actors I liked The Witch quite a lot Robert Eggers' previous movie and I really am excited to see this also, you know, it being a movie that I really don't know that much about other than it's two guys trapped in a lighthouse together and uh, there's something quite nice about a movie that is as low concept as that
1: mm. well, It's a classic, classic thing, isn't it? That, you know, you always post two people to a lighthouse in case one goes insane that's mm. the the classic setup um and then you take the director of the witch which you know i i think is a remarkable film um and you have yourself a feel good hit of the of the autumn <laughs> season um it looks a very bleak film um yeah. and i'm excited for it because yes i very much enjoyed the witch um if anyone hasn't seen that that's arguably one of the best horror films i think in the last decade i guess because i feel a little bit like horror is is kind of you know big budget kind of remakes or reboots or these kind of endless little mini franchises that i can't tell the difference between you know like annabelle and the conjuring and all those well i don't even know what they are I don't, they're the same thing i'm not sure i don't know so they all and the nun and you know things like i always just kind of feel they're the same and and the witch kind of really stood out for me of being a kind of uh a, a folk horror film that you scripted mainly from transcripts of real witch trials from like the 1600s or something it was kind of mm. crazy it was a great movie it was really interesting I had Chris Finch from The Office in the lead role fighting a goat what more can you want? <laughs> yeah I hear
0: he placed a lighthouse in this <laughs> they just... yeah
1: he, he's versatile <laughs>
0: uh, and just to clarify The Conjuring and Annabelle and The Nun are all part of the same franchise of course but they are. Annabelle is a prequel to The Conjuring and The Nun is a spin-off of Annabelle. Sure. And, and The the Curse of La Llorona is also part of The Conjuring universe, but they didn't acknowledge that until after the movie had come out.
1: Yeah. Okay.
0: Basically, James Wan has his own little MCU <laughs> that he's kind of constructed piecemeal over the last like six years or so.
1: Mm, fair, yeah. And good it for him. Make, yeah, he got to make a living. And they do very well those movies, don't
0: they? Yeah, they all. I mean, they all cost like two million dollars, or I think The Conjuring probably costs a little more. It's like ten, fifteen dollar range. But I'm pretty sure all the other ones are all like less than ten million dollars. And even the unsuccessful ones return a profit of like five or six times what they cost to make.
1: Mm, yeah.
0: Also in October we have our second Steven Soderbergh movie of the year, The Laundromat,
1: mm. which
0: is uh the story of the panama papers and is kind of very it seems to be tonally in the same sort of ballpark as something like the informant uh where he's kind of taking something that's fairly complex and trying to present it in a way that's kind of very poppy very star driven it's got lots of famous people in it most notably uh meryl streep who is kind of the lead of it as this person who enters into it kind of j not necessarily really understanding what any of the Panama Papers are, but, or, or what the whole scandal is about, but kind of provides the the audience viewpoint into it as a way of kind of explaining it. Um, the reviews so far have been uh, a little mixed. I think uh, a lot of people seem to think that it's such it's kind of such a big, broad, scandal that it's kind of hard to you know kind of make something that's really kind of poppy and fun. Uh, out of it but Mm. you know i've always have i always have time for soderbergh i i'd like how quickly he knocks movies out these days Um, considering he's retired yes i don't think this one was shot on an iphone i think this one was shot with real cameras but i i do like this little groove he's got into where he he has is just knocking films out like when he uh, when he finished High Flying Bird and literally was like, yeah, we finished filming six hours ago and I already have an edit. It's like, Jesus Christ, man, just like, I don't know, have a drink or something, like, to rest for a minute. Um, mm. But yeah, so I'm I'm quite excited. And, and also one of the interesting things about it is it's one of the first films, I think, that is being released by Netflix where there is a sizable by Netflix standards, gap between it playing in theatres and it appearing on the streaming service. I think it's out in theatres for like two or three weeks before it hits Netflix, which Mm. is interesting in terms of the conflict that has existed between Netflix and the more kind of traditional bodies of the motion picture industry in America.
1: Mm, Yeah. I was kind of interested to see that he had kind of is, is he in some kind of deal with Netflix because these last two have been for them haven't they
0: yeah uh, I I think he has he's definitely found a home uh with them but I, uh, th- he also I think is just happy to work with anyone who will fund the kind of like the stuff he wants to do because I think On the was with like a was with a major studio even though again it was shot on an iPhone and <laughs> seemed to be knocked together in a weekend Um, Mm. but yeah he Uh, certainly seems to enjoy working with them and the the freedom that they afford him and to do what he wants
1: yeah that's it it was funded by a major studio and they gave him you know 10 million dollars but he just went out and bought the latest iphone and uh you know iMovie and just banged out on a weekend um and kept the rest
0: (laughs) yeah that's why he's one of the smartest men in the business. (laughs) <laughs> yep. and then just rattle off some more from October that seem interesting to me. Jojo Rabbit, the Taika Waititi movie where he plays Hitler, mm-hmm. um, which uh, has uh, garnered uh, very starkly different reviews from film festivals. Some people seem to be saying, "Oh, it's delightful," you know, it's like Taika Waititi being at his silly best, and other ones saying, "Like, uh, this doesn't really hit the mark," you know, with its comedic targets. So um, I'm interested to see how that one shapes up considering that I I do like most of the movies that Taika Waititi has made. I think that his his movie Boy is absolutely wonderful. Hunt for the World of People was very, very good. It'd be interesting to see how well he treads the line with this one. Dolomite is my name. They're also from Netflix. Is a Mm -hmm. movie starring Eddie Murphy playing uh, Rudy Ray Moore who played the character of Dolomite uh in the kind of classic black exploitation movie the trailer makes it seem like a lot of fun i'm i'm happy to see eddie murphy in something where he seems to be really going for it and telling a story that seems to mean something to him uh and you know it, it seems uh to have invigorated him so I'm, I'm excited to see how that one turns out and um parasite the latest movie by bong joon ho which is kind of bleak satire of class in Korea which I think has been a huge success there and uh, I want to say won him the palm door can I think it's it um,
1: certainly did
0: yes so I am hugely excited to see that I love Bong Joon-ho's movies Um, I think that he's a a singular talent and I'm always excited to see him do something something else
1: Mm, yeah he's on well he hasn't made many bad films has he? Um, like yeah. the host and and Okja and uh, Snowpiercer, um, it's just nice to see his film getting released. Um, yeah, is, you know more than we could say for something like Snowpiercer. The only film that I had that you didn't mention is in October was the film that features the greatest bowl cut in history, the King, the uh, mm. the Timothy Chalamet Netflix movie where he plays I don't know some royal person. You know I don't know history past nineteen. 19- <laughs> 01. Yeah, I, I mean, it's got a good cast. It's got Robert Pattinson in it and Ben Mendelssohn. So, mm. you know, it should be good. And plus the bowl cut is quite something. It looks like he could be uh, the heir to the throne in like the 15th century or whatever, or the bass player in a, a kind of like a, a new wave band.
0: Mm. Yes, I've heard wonderful things about Robert Pattinson's French accent in that movie. Oh, please I-
1: tell me that's true.
0: Yes. by by wonderful I think people generally say uh, unusual <laughs> and uh, a striking choice hmm. so I'm I'm all for it for that yes that, that's that's one that I'm kind of excited to see I want to say was it directed by like David mishod or someone like that
1: let's say so yeah I mean it makes sense um he did his last With- film for Netflix didn't he
0: yeah and uh got mendo in it yep David mishod Mm-hmm. Written by Joel Edgerton.
1: Who Did is also like? in it.
0: Yeah. Okay, uh, yes. Uh, Chalamet is playing Henry V. Oh, that guy. <laughs> yeah. But, oh, uh, yeah. not in an adaptation of Henry V, which is uh, interesting.
1: Oh, okay. All right. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I know very little about Henry V. I'm going to say he was present at the Battle of Agincourt. Yep. And I'm out.
0: Yep, uh, oversaw the revolutionary use of longbows mm. to uh, defeat the French,
1: which is where Sorry the to flicking the two two fingers up comes from, isn't it? When they used to capture the arch, they used to capture the British archers, and they used to cut their fingers off so they couldn't use the longbows. Mm. So the British British guys who were still you know firing would just flag them off with a couple of fingers, and that's where that comes from. So I do know my history. That's the important thing about that whole period. <laughs> It's uh, the key, the key thing that that most historians overlook.
0: Yeah, you know your etymology of swears. Mm Absolutely. Which will get you very far in life. Okay, so we'll go to November, and I think the the big one, uh, another Netflix new movie. Netflix are all over the schedule this this winter, is Martin Scorsese's The Irishman, mm. which had its debut at the New York Film Festival last night as generated largely rapturous reviews three and a half hours long stars robert de niro uh, joe pesci and al pacino is uh, utilizes de-aging technology to allow them to play their characters through the course of a of their entire lives more or less well less so pacino because he's playing jimmy Hoffa, and you know that only goes to a certain to a certain mm. age um, <laughs> but um i'm very very excited for it Um, this is a movie that I know that Scorsese has been trying to make for a very very long time Uh, I think it was you know if you looked at his IMDB page basically since the departed it was always listed as like his next his like in development Uh, he's wanted to make this story for for years and years and years and I am really excited to see him work with De Niro again for the first time since Casino and Pesci is I think that, as well Was
1: it that long that's, that's, how, that's how long ago was he since he's worked with him
0: yeah yeah, and I well. don't I, I don't think he's been any sort of falling out or anything it's just they haven't worked together <laughs> um, mm. they could never get a you know I think they they had various projects that they wanted to do which fell through but yeah to see them reunited to see Pesci apparently doing uh, great work as well who is someone who also hasn't worked with Scorsese since Casino and has until um this like had more or less retired um has only been in a handful of movies in the last sort of 10-15 years uh to see him back is is very very exciting and yeah and just like any time there's a new scorsese movie uh it's something to be excited about and to see him working on what seems to be a fairly massive scale again because he's got Netflix money, <laughs> you know. He's like they were the only people who would pony up the two hundred million dollars or whatever it costs to make. Mm-hmm. Uh, is yeah, it's 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 immensely exciting, and I really hope I get the chance to see it in a movie theater because it seems like the sort of movie that would really warrant that. But you know, I'll also be happy to watch it on Netflix if that's the only option.
1: Yeah, balls to it. I'm watching it on my PS4 with the little uh, PSN like network notifications popping up in the top left-hand corner. That's <laughs> how it's intended. Like, you know, when it just comes up and says, your friends are now online. That's why I hmm. want. Uh, you're yeah, not to Minimize get... it. <laughs> yep. Perfect. Just press the PS button to cycle through to something else if you get bored. And I just go on my phone for the rest of it. It's fine.
0: Yeah. It's Cinema. long. What am I supposed to do? Like, watch it all.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Jesus Christ. Uh, Netflix have got another film out that month. Well, I mean, they've probably got lots out, but the one that caught my eye is the new Noah Baumbach movie. Um, mm, yeah. A Marriage Story with Adam Driver and Scarlett Johansson, who mm-hmm. may well play a tree. Who knows? But yeah, that that seems quite exciting.
0: Yes. Uh, obviously, Adam Driver, terrific actor. Charlie Johansson, a great great actor who says dumb, dumb things, but a, um, a, a terrific talent. And yeah, Noah Baumbach's I don't don't know if he's made a bad movie like some of his movies I don't respond to too much but I really enjoyed his last Netflix movie The Witch Stories. Um mm, that was good. It was it was very very good. This movie has got some great reviews coming out of the the film festivals and uh, I am I'm always excited to see what Noam Barback will do particularly because he's a an a director who has Evolved so much I think from like his early days in the 90s like I think he's he's become maybe a little more naturalistic than some of his earlier movies a little less um, a little less considered uh, in a way that I think really benefits you know kind of gives a sense of reality to his movies whilst also having incredibly kind of funny rapid fire dialogue and uh, that'd be interesting to see if that continues in this one
1: Mm, yeah. Um also if I mean it's it's no surprise that Netflix are ramping up the their production in the kind of autumn winter because it's award season. Yeah. And um the first kind of big obvious, super obvious award season contender I think is Harriet, the Harriet Tubman biopic. Mm. Um which I feel like it's been in the works for a long time.
0: Yes, it's it's one of those movies where I remember for years and years and years, I remember people talking about you know whenever you get a biopic of some kind of great figure from history, uh, everyone be saying like that like why are you making the twentieth movie about Abraham Lincoln or whatever and no one's yet made a movie out of Harriet Tubman's story when she is an incredibly significant figure from American history whose story um is known and is taught in schools or whatever but you know like the the value you know it shouldn't necessarily be this way but like the value of someone's contribution history is often validated by how often their story is retold in in art and uh, it's kind of always been a great shame that her story has not been as i was kind of interesting to see it finally being told
1: hmm And they went for Harriet and not Tubman. Yeah, for the uh, for the thing. I mean, that was the the only two options they had.
0: Yeah, or they could have. I don't know, like, found a biography of her that had an evocative title, and you know, kind of call it that way. Which is a you know an issue with a a later movie um, that we'll be getting to of just like being like you you don't just need to have to name the movie after the person. (laughs) You could uh, maybe think of something that evokes something rather than just saying. Their Their name, particularly if it's a name that's not necessarily just associated with that person, arguably Tubman would be more familiar, but then I guess that just conjures up images of Tub Girl and no one mm, sounds a little
1: bit more um slapstick as well, doesn't it? yeah, Tubman and
0: that's probably not the thing that they're going for
1: i I imagine it's, it's pro-
0: not a comedy no, no, it's not like Dick. Where they're kind of taking the real serious thing from history and being like, "Let's have fun."
1: Hmm, what's wrong with this? Hey old there's there's comedy there's laughs in that abolition game.
0: Ah, <laughs> uh, the abolition. Benedict Cumberbatch was so good in the abolition game. <laughs> <laughs> Nowadays, we call it freedom. Mm-hmm. <laughs> God, that was a terrible movie.
1: <laughs> it was very poor, wasn't it? Yeah.
0: I think like people don't talk enough about how bad the immigration game was, uh, and how just how badly it did by its uh, by its subject matter.
1: Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I, I was like, I always expect to come out of watching the Oscar hopefuls very nonplussed, but I think yeah. I came out of that film disgusted.
0: Hmm. <laughs> yeah. Like, actually disgusted. And it's and it's so. And it's kind of like real brutal adherence to the Oscar formula as well. Mm. Of being like, this is what voters will like. Wasn't that in the Theory and Everything out in the same year? It was, yeah. Ugh,
1: what what a, what a halcyon time that was. <laughs>
0: what a time to be alive. Yeah, yeah. One of the movies from November that I'm quite excited for is a movie called Honey Boy, which is a movie written by Shia LaBeouf Largely based in his own childhood and directed, this is the thing that gets me really excited for it, by Alma Harrell, who people may know best as the director of the documentary Bombay Beach. Bombay Beach,
1: yeah. Which was uh, a very early, kind of quite high, highly featured film of our of a year, you know, 2011 or something maybe for us. Yep, yeah, yep. Yeah. That was an incredible film. And other than she did a lot of work with the band Beirut, i would not really kind of kept up with her career for shame.
0: Mm, yeah, I was looking up to see what work she's done since then. And she's done a couple of other documentaries that I'm not sure got that widely released and she's done, like, like you say, worked at Beirut and done music videos and things like that. Uh, I think this might be her first um, dramatic feature from what I can mm-hmm. see anyway. And uh, mm. it's got some very interesting notices from film festivals. Apparently it's... Um, very like as you would maybe expect from from her previous work it's very expressive and very poetic and it seems to be a a real great showcase for lucas hedges who plays the who plays the the shia labeouf character and shia labeouf who plays his own dad in it um, because it's all about the relationship that he had with his dad and apparently it's it's very interesting if you've been following the arc of Shia LaBeouf's career of seeing this character this this guy who has basically been famous his whole life more or less you know like being a child star going on into blockbusters and then kind of finding his way out of that and I think that's a really interesting story I'm not sure how obviously I haven't seen the film so I don't know how well that will all translate but um, Shia LaBeouf has has struck me as an incredibly odd and interesting person particularly in his post blockbuster career choices uh, and i'd be really interested to see how how this all shakes out Mm,
1: i can't wait to see an art project in the future which is a live stream of sheila birth watching this film (laughs) based on his own life written by him and starring himself his own dad because that's probably why he's doing this for.
0: yeah yeah he kind of needs to do an addendum to that project doesn't he because he's made movies since
1: yeah yeah, he needs to come back with uh, the uh, the 12th and 13th innings, as it were. <laughs> um, I like that was a great joke, wasn't it? And that was literally Inside Baseball. <laughs> uh, I've got a, this. Adam Driver is back again mm-hmm. with uh, a film called The Report, mm. which is a kind of like a docudrama um, set in the wake of 9 11. I think it focuses on the like investigations into the use of torture. Yeah, that's right. And it is uh, from. The festivals it screened out and everything,
0: it apparently is hot shit. Mm. Yes, uh, Annette Benning is meant to be very good in it, playing uh, Diane Feinstein, the senior mm-hmm. senator from California. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, which is quite—it's always weird when, like, people portray contemporary <laughs> political figures that people are all really very aware of, and also who are like still active and. You're being like, oh, right, yeah, that person is still in the Senate and now we're seeing dramatizations of their uh, of their life. But um, yes, I'm very excited to see see that, although I do keep mixing it up with the laundromat and I think I've got them squared away as which is which now, um, but uh, partly because the report is written and directed by Scott Z. Burns, who is uh, one of Soderbergh's go-to guys for writing a lot of his stuff which is why I kind of get them mixed up in my mind because obviously there's shared creative DNA there.
1: Mm. It's probably one of his pseudonyms. It probably Mm. is Soderbergh.
0: Yeah. Uh, Another movie from November um, that I saw the trailer for today uh, for the first time and I I kind of am interested in uh, is Ford vs. Ferrari or Ford v. Ferrari, which is um, Mm -hmm. directed by James Mangold, whose work I generally like quite a bit. Uh, about the contest between Ford and Ferrari to create a better racing car for the Le Mans 24-hour Grand Prix, uh, stars Matt Damon and Christian Bale as kind of two guys who are assigned with the task of trying to create a Ford capable of competing, a Ford car capable of competing with the work being done by Ferrari, and it looks it looks it looks fun. Maybe not the most demanding of. Projects and it could very easily fall into the kind of empty Oscar bait kind of trap of just being like, hey, here's a fun thing from history, enjoy it. And you know, kind of as we talked about um last time, like the, the David O. Russell thing of being all energy and no purpose. But mm-hmm. um, I think James Gap- Mangold generally has proven himself to be a little smarter than that, even when he does do Oscar bait sort of stuff, like um like walk the line there's a little more there's a little more purpose behind it and you know kind of a little more consideration but that made you think oh this person is not just trying to win awards they're they're trying to tell an interesting story and um the the trailer does have a lot of lot of vim and energy to it so uh, i'm 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 interested in it whilst at the same time it's one of those ones where i think oh, i'll see what the reviews look like for it before i plop my money down
1: Mm. I'm not interested at all because I hate cars, <laughs> I hate Formula One, I hate all that that bullshit. But if Christian Bale was playing the car,
0: I would mm. be into it.
1: But he's not, is he? So.
0: It's not a Stealth Night Rider adaptation, sadly.
1: That's a real shame. <laughs> yeah, uh, I've got um, the 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 Tom Hanks Mr. Rogers movie, Beautiful mm-hmm. Day in the Neighborhood. Although it's got a different title over here. Oh what's it's called, it called like, you'll be my best friend or something It's a really really shitty title. Yeah. Um because obviously Mr Rogers means nothing to anyone over here.
0: No. Although I think the documentary did fairly well, so I think he probably introduced some people. But yeah, he's not like a cultural institution as he is over here.
1: Mm, yeah. I mean I think it'll kind of come out because obviously Hanks is uh you know the draw and all his films kind of you know come out but yeah whether or not it'll have the same cultural cachet i'm not sure
0: you don't think that matthew reese's cachet from the wine show will really kind of carry him forward
1: i really really hope it will (laughs) because if something has to it will be that which every time you say it (laughs) i kind of forget that that actually happened
0: Mm, yeah and that it was.
1: They have they've changed the title back to a beautiful day in the neighbourhood. Sorry, just to pick that up. Okay. Um, but thought you saying that. they
0: changed the title of the wine show.
1: No, no, that's still called the wine show. Okay, but yeah. Well, no, they was... should have called it Riesling. Ah, oh,
0: that would have been good. But then, if he ever good. leaves the show, then I mean the draw goes away straight away because obviously. What he's... was the other guy's name? Matthew Good. Good I'm Riesling. <laughs> wine puns. Good. <laughs> <Riesling>. Yeah. <laughs>
1: Um, but then that would shoot itself in the foot because everyone knows there's very few good Rieslings because
0: it's disgusting. It's ironic. It's there to really... Mm. It's to get in the uh, the real the real wine heads, the ones you really yeah. know.
1: Yeah. There is actually a throwaway line in the film Sideways about how there are some good Rieslings, but he's really only saying it because he feels awkward about trying to kiss Virginia Madsen. Mm. So really it's kind of synonymous with, you know kind of the worst type of bumbling masculinity
0: yeah so the <laughs> wine the wine share will be fine <laughs> yeah they don't have to change it to our admittedly brilliant pun yeah yeah
1: it's a shame in terms of other stuff in november the big one that jumped out to me which i know you're very excited for mm. as well is knives out
0: yes very excited
1: which every time I see the trailer for, it fills me with joy, mainly because it reminds me of the episode of the US Office where they they <laughs> host a, a Georgian-themed murder mystery in an attempt to avoid a real crisis, mm. just because Daniel Craig seems to be very much enjoying himself um, yeah. uh, with the accent. But it also just seems like uh, somewhat of a delicious combination of cast... Writer, director, and, you know, what seems to be a fairly tidy Hugh it, And the reviews coming out of, is it Toronto, maybe? I think yep. it, it kind of, yeah, they all seem to be very positive.
0: Yes, like all the reviews that I read of it seem to say that it's very much in the in the vein of something like brick where you have this like real meticulously constructed mystery where you know everything's really finely tuned and it's like like runs like clockwork which seems to be something that that uh, ryan johnson is very good at or is certainly very fascinated uh, with when you consider that and the brothers bloom which is another kind of like intricate little puzzle box of a movie um but whereas brick was very much in the dark and brooding neo-noir tradition this one everyone seems to say is just in the kind of fun agatha christie locked room mystery big cast all kind of sparring off of each other tradition and that is a a kind of uh movie that i i enjoy uh quite a bit yeah it's the sort of thing that at worst is like just kind of a something to have on on a Sunday afternoon and kind of zone out to, but still be entertained by. But when it's done really well can be like really scintillating. And, mm. uh, by, by all the accounts I've read, um, this is very much the latter, that it's mm. an original mystery like delivered with real panache.
1: And if he's given us nothing else, he's given us that gif of, uh, Chris Evans telling people to eat shit. Mm.
0: Yeah. Yeah. He also appears to be, really be enjoying himself and, uh, <laughs> It's interesting seeing that as his like first big post-playing Captain America uh, role of mm. really just going, okay, what's the furthest I can be from this kind of like paragon of decency who never swears, a rich shit who just tells people to eat <laughs> shit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The only other one from the month that I have is um, the new Todd Haynes movie, Dark Waters, which...
1: Oh, that one passed me, but I have to see
0: Yeah, I had not heard of it until I was doing the research for this, but it's a legal thriller about a lawyer played by Mark Ruffalo who's hired to take on a case against a chemical company who kind of uncovers um, this history of of corruption and of pollution. Uh, It's based on a real-life story, and it's got a a very, very good cast. It's got Mark Ruffalo, as I said, uh, Anne Hathaway's in it as well, and, you know, I just I'm always, I'm always excited for a new Todd Haynes movie. He, you know, his last movie Wonderstruck didn't really do as well as uh, perhaps it deserved. I thought it was a very sweet, lovely little movie, um, but maybe just didn't really fit in with what movies are nowadays because it was a, uh, movie about kids that really wasn't for kids. Uh, or it was kind of like a wide-eyed, adventurous sort of movie, and those things just don't get made now and people don't really go and see them, which is a shame. But um, I'm excited to see him going from that to something that feels markedly different, that he is kind of continuing to try try different things and this feels like something of a departure for him.
1: Mm, yeah, yeah. Right, into Christmas, December, yes. what's happening?
0: Well, uh, one of the the most recent addition to the December slate, because it was literally scheduled this week, is the Newfoundland Eastwood movie, Richard Jewell. And that was the movie I was talking about earlier that has a just a really boring name. <laughs> just mm. like named after the guy. Admittedly, a guy who had a very interesting story. But there's got to be more titles available than just the name. But uh, Richard Jewell was a security guard at the uh, Atlanta Olympics in 1996 who found a bomb and uh, got you know people to safety allowed it to be detonated securely basically saved a lot of people's lives but in the aftermath of that suspicions arose that he may been the one who planted the bomb in order to try and get notoriety for himself and it basically destroyed his life mm. and it's a very in- it's a very interesting story that people have been trying to get made for quite some time now i think Eastwood has probably been attached for a good couple of years at this point i think at one point he was going to direct it, it was- with Jonah Hill playing the Richard Jewell part and uh, I want to say Leonardo DiCaprio in one of the other roles, but that fell through. Um, Hill left the project earlier this year and it seemed to be a sense, oh, it's not going to happen. And Clint Eastwood was just like, nope, it's just gonna, <laughs> I'm just going to make it anyway. So he cast uh, Paul Walter Hauser, who people probably best know from the movie I, Tonya, uh, mm where he is very, very good. I'm not a huge fan of that movie, but he is he is a definite highlight of that. Um, he's also one of the bumbling henchmen in the live-action Cruella de Vil movie that comes out next year. Perfect weird, casting. Weird, weird choice. But um, he's a very, very good actor. I believe Sam Rockwell is also in it, uh, presumably in the part that um, Leonardo DiCaprio would have played. And um, I'm very, very excited for it. I enjoy most of Clint Eastwood movies. I... Uh, just I just admire his, um, just how quickly he gets things done. Like, I think the movie started filming in June and then they were like, right, okay, good. I guess it's ready for award season. Let's just get it out there. And there's something quite nice and old school Hollywood about that, about someone who is, who is like a, a craftsman who just like bangs movies out like that. Um, mm. And like I say, it's a very interesting story that... Uh, I'll be excited to finally see Told considering it's, uh, like I say, it's one of those movies that people just seem to be trying to make for ages and ages and ages and then just never seem to happen.
1: I can see that there is, I don't know how much you want to go in order for this, but there's that Safdie Brothers movie with Adam yep. Sandler, <laughs> mm. um, which is called Uncut Gems. That's right. Um, uh, Apparently it's supposed to be pretty good. Yep. Um and then there's the Terrence Malik movie, which I will fall asleep through as someone wanders through a fucking field probably. Yep. Um and then then we're into kind of the, the kind of the big movies, I guess, aren't we? With the, the double header of cats and a new Star Wars movie, which leads me to what I was gonna say earlier about the there being a new low. Is mm. there is currently amongst the Star Wars fandom, um the the people who, you know, generally got quite upset about most things with a woman in it, uh, are trying to organize a collective boycott of Star Wars Episode Nine Mm. by getting all the fans to go and watch Cats instead. (laughs) (laughs) And the hashtag, no word of a lie, is called Pussy Patrol.
0: Wow. That's that's truly incredible. Yeah.
1: yeah, That's the current new low, everyone. (laughs) That's the bar.
0: (laughs) Oh God! um I mean those boycotts always work out so well um, they do don't they yeah they they totally derailed uh Captain Marvel, of course, which mm-hmm. made made no money whatsoever, certainly didn't earn a billion dollars worldwide yes, uh wow, that is I'm just stunned by. <laughs> How utterly pathetic that whole thing sounds. <laughs> but yes, uh, yeah. So we got the the ninth proper Star Wars movie, the ninth in the the Skywalker saga. That's going to mm-hmm. bring it all to an end, and then there'll be no more Star Wars. I'm sure.
1: No, absolutely none. And then cats, which is uh, the start of its uh, own it's about saga. Cats. <laughs> yeah, there will be in a few years' time talking about the ninth entry into the cats saga. Rumtum Tugger, a cat story. Yeah. I will be um I will be there on opening night just cuz I just ah, I just need to cuz I don't know anything about the movie cats at all other mm-hmm. than the fact that the villagers cats and the song memories that's it. Yeah. So I'm I feel like it's going to be a big learning experience for me.
0: Yeah, I think uh you'll be you'll be in for a hell of a time. Uh hmm. you'll uh, you it's a shame that um it probably won't come with an uh, an intermission because then you could uh recreate what my parents did when the show was on the West End, which is watch the first half and then run right out of there at the break. Mm. I mean, you could do it at any point in the movie, but I think it's, it means a lot more if you do it in the intermission. During the the period in uh, a theater, theatrical production where they're giving you the out and they're like, you can say, yes, I am taking that, goodbye.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. They do give you that, that, that escape route in the theater. is very considerate. But th- those are the two... Big, big movies, aren't they, for the for the for the kind of Christmas period. If you if you don't count something like You know, Frozen Two, I think, which is also out in December. Mm-hmm. Um but in terms of, of like kind of uh awards y stuff, there's that film Bombshell coming out. Yeah. Which is weirdly directed by Jay Roach of Austin Powers fame, but does have a a incredible cast of Nicole Kidman, Charlie Thorne and Margot Robbie as uh as a as a kind of triumvirate.
0: Yeah, with uh I I think Shelley's from playing Megyn Kelly in some what looks like some very uh, eerie makeup, where it, mm. re- it really does look like her, and it's it's kind of unsettling. Um, yeah, Jay Roach, because he also has he has that weird bifurcated career where all most if not all of his theatrically released movies have been kind of like broad silly comedies, mm-hmm. but. Then he has also directed loads of stuff for HBO, like serious political stuff, like Recount, the the miniseries about the Florida recount in the 2000 election. Uh, I want to say he also did Game Change, the movie about uh, Sarah Palin uh, with mm. Julianne Moore. And this is kind of like, I want to say this is the first time he's really gone to you know kind of doing something that seems fairly serious as his as his may as as a theatrical movie unless there's some like deeper subtext to little fockers that i wasn't aware of
1: uh, he also did trumbo a few years ago didn't he oh he yeah trumbo uh, Os- oscar nod yeah
0: mm, yeah which
1: is unfortunately not about baltimore orioles first baseman mark trumbo uh apparently about better. some boring writer asshole yeah would have been. been
0: better uh, I think that may, probably would have been a stretch for Brian Cranston to take on that role, but
1: still. No, yeah. Would
0: have been better. Um,
1: he'd, have done it. he'd have done it.
0: Yeah, he'd have done a job. But yeah, I think it's uh, th- this is one where the story itself I find interesting, like the story of these women kind of taking down Roger Ailes, who was the, the former uh, president of Fox News, who was uh, taken down by... When it became apparent that he was a kind of a, a serial sexual harasser, and that the company had been kind of hushing up a lot of the complaints against him for years and years and years, and it's very, very topical, very uh, of the moment. But it's Jay Roach. It's just like, I just I just mm. don't see him necessarily <laughs> like translating that into a really good and interesting movie, and and it you know coming on the back of you know what adam mckay has been doing with his like move into more political movies i just kind of think stop letting these guys who are like good at goofy comedies make movies that are meant to be about something because it almost never mm. works out or, or um like fucking peter farrelly in green book like stop mm. i mean stop uh letting these guys make like terrible middle brow fare let them make terrible comedies because that's what they're good at
1: mm. Unless, unless there is a scene in Bombshell where Nicole Kidman attempts to three point turn around a small buggy in a narrow corridor, because mm. that's still one of my favourite side gags ever.
0: That is very yeah. Particularly the cut when it cuts back to show that he has just completely <laughs> rammed it in there. <laughs> There's no way out, <laughs> getting out at all. Yeah. Jay Roach also very good playing himself on Barry this season. Uh, in a scene,
1: who was he in Barry? Uh,
0: when Bill, I mean, he was Jay
1: Roach. But what episode? What episode was that?
0: When Bill Hader is going to... When Barry, rather, is going to audition for the, like, camp movie or the summer camp movie that he's in. Uh,
1: oh, yes. Okay. Yeah, Yeah,
0: Jay Roach is the director, and Alison Jones, who is the woman who basically casts every single American comedy, uh, plays herself mm-hmm. in the scene as well, which is kind of nice. Wow. Mm. So he's not totally without merit, Jay Roach. But...
1: Yeah. There was one big more blockbuster that I did forget, which mm-hmm. is the slightly improbable, um, Jumanji sequel. And I say mm. slightly improbable because I don't think that either of us was expecting the Jumanji reboot to be quite as successful as it was and also yes. being kind of inexplicably quite enjoyable.
0: Yeah, it was uh, a big like surprise, completely out of left field on both counts. Uh, mm-hmm. Hugely successful, even though it opened up against uh, The Last Jedi, which I think uh, probably inspired Universal to put out Cats. This Christmas, even though it's up against a Star Wars, because I think Jumanji basically said, uh, there's room for movies to be successful, even if they're up against a behemoth like, uh, like Star Wars. But yes, um, it seemed from the trailers for the era uh, of the previous film, it felt a little tired and kind of made you think, well, I'm not sure how well this is going to work. And then you watch it and think, oh, this is, you know, pretty fun, really inventive, mm-hmm. nice, nice solid cast, decent writing. Yeah, it was like a real pleasant surprise. And um, it lends itself to a sequel because obviously all you need to do is just have those people go into the game again each time and take on different characters. But but, but I saw the trailer today before Ad Astra, weirdly. and uh, <laughs> That's
1: an odd trail. Matt.
0: Yeah, I think um, the first batch of trailers for it were all like, okay, this is uh, stuff aimed at you know kind of like an adult audience who are coming to see this movie because it's a big serious thinky sci-fi movie and then there were the ones which is like movies that are going to be shown in imax later this year <laughs> like so that mm-hmm. was one of the ones they picked and it was really weird going uh going to that one uh from um like ford versus ferrari yeah the trailer for this one uh, it kind of looks a little more tired and like they're really straining for a premise. The uh, Rock's Danny DeVito impression <laughs> is uh, is weird to see, <laughs> but though not as weird as Kevin Hart's Danny Glover impression is to hear. It's, it seems like that's uh, a couple of one-premise one, one premise jokes that are going to be stretched out to feature length. I'm not sure how that's going to work, but um, I like Those actors, I think, you know, like, uh, those, those two are both very good together. Karen Gillan's, uh, great. And Jack Black is a huge amount of fun. And just like the, the world of humanity as they've invented it is like lends itself to anything they want to do, really. Hmm.
1: Yeah. Yeah. The one that I think is going to open on Christmas day in America that we won't see until probably February in the UK is Little Women. Hmm. Yeah. Um, I think that I mean I I don't actually know anything about Little Women. Um, obviously, I know I've, I've I've seen bits of the other version with Christian Bale and Kirsten Dunst in, um, but I'm not familiar with the source material. But this has got me very interested to see it because it's uh, Greta Gerwig's follow-up to Lady Bird, and the cast is insane.
0: Yes, uh, I have not read the book. I keep meaning to because it seems like a very good book. Um, but I have seen the version from the 1930s that stars uh, Catherine Hepburn in one of her early roles. And it's a, it's a great story, like, really wonderful story of, uh, these group of these group of sisters who are all kind of trying to get by while their father is fighting in the Civil War. And uh, it's, like, a very rich collection of characters with their own hopes and dreams and conflicts. And it's the sort of story that is kind of endlessly updatable really because you'll always have kind of great young actresses that you can slot into the various roles and you know kind of update the story however you want and it uh, looks like they've done something very good it's certainly in the casting point of view when you look at uh, Sersha Ronan who obviously is uh, is wonderful Emma Watson Florence Pugh uh, very strong uh, selection of characters uh, in those roles small role for Mel Streep as their kind of Rich ant yeah, it it looks, obviously know, it looks like Little Women. You know, it's a fairly uh, familiar um, story in some ways, but uh, I really liked Ladybird as as you did, and uh, I'm really excited to see Greta Gerwig sink, sink her teeth into, you know, this great literary classic.
1: Mm, yeah. Yeah. Um. What else have we got in, in December? Is there anything else? Uh, the only I mean, there other there probably is, but
0: the only other one I had was nineteen seventeen, which is the um, movie from Sam Mendes about uh, World War One, about kind of a mission, a uh, group of soldiers sent out on a mission. It looks very visually uh, impressive. The battle sequences, at least what's been seen in the trailer, looks uh, really epic, and it's you know like World War One is not something that's you know depicted that often in comparison to world war two um mm-hmm. weirdly we're getting two movies that take place at least partly in world war one in a short space of time we've got that and we've got the kingsman prequel which takes place in world war one and it's just called the king's man which is weird and bad from a branding point of view <laughs> And this one looks a little meatier and like a, it's more significant there's a real dunkirk vibe to it uh, accentuated by the fact that on one point one hand it has you know this kind of big cast of of actors including veterans like uh colin firth in in kind of the roles as some of the more senior officers but also the trailer very heavily features a ticking clock which you know christopher nolan doesn't have a um, a monopoly on clocks in cinema, but he's certainly you know kind of like made the ticking clock a huge part of Dunkirk the movie and also its marketing, so it's very weird to watch that and think this feels very much like you know World War One version of dunkirk but i I'm interested to see it. I like more of Sam Mendes's work than I dislike, and it's like i say it's it's a it's a historical event, World War one that by and large isn't really given the attention that maybe it's owed as you know basically the thing that set up like the next hundred years of bloodshed in the in Europe,
1: mm, yeah, yeah, I guess it doesn't get film treatment as often because it was just a kind of a grinding, mm. a kind of awful, terrible, horrible I mean, no wars are a laugh, do you know no. what I mean, but like you know this one was especially not a laugh. <laughs> Yeah, just people. the least being, of a laugh as all the wars mm,
0: yeah just people being miserable in trenches and not moving very much as opposed mm. to you know at least in Band of Brothers you know they went to different parts of France <laughs> they moved mm, yeah, around a exactly. little bit yeah but yeah so that's that's the autumn winter or just the winter preview everyone those are the movies that uh, we're excited for uh, although as ever the things I'm always most excited for is the, are the surprises the stuff that we don't see coming uh, so uh, we'll look out for those but for the moment we'll end this episode as we end all our episodes with Shot Reverse Shot Recommends which we talk about a piece of culture that we've enjoyed and we think you the listeners will enjoy as well Matt what have you got to recommend for the listeners this week?
1: Uh, I'm going to recommend a film that I've wanted to see for a while but I've only just caught up on um, a 2014 do- documentary called Next Goal Wins mm. um, a film directed by Mike Brett and Steve Jameson about the American Samoan football team Uh, who famously in the early 2000s were defeated in a World Cup qualifier by Australia uh, to the score of 31-0 and have generally spent most of their existence at the bottom of FIFA's world rankings and have never won a game. And um, the documentary follows their kind of World Cup qualifier pre-qualifying campaign where a kind of a ragtag group of lovable misfits is um kind of whipped into shape by a new coach uh on loan from the american soccer federation a, a dutch coach who's kind of dealing with his own kind of family tragedy this all sounds very much like cool runnings doesn't it um but it, <laughs> and and it all come as no surprise that it is being adapted into a film next year by the pre aforementioned Takeaway TT, and it's a perfect um i think that's a perfect match of 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 um subject matter to director but anyway this documentary is a incredibly heartwarming um and touching film about people who do things because they love it and they want to and what drives them and the the team includes i didn't even know about this but like the first ever transgender person to play for uh, an international football team um and because uh American Samoa and I think Samoan culture has three genders um and yeah it's it's an incredibly yeah heartfelt look at uh yeah what drives people to keep coming back for what appears to be just endless punishment i won't spoil it because it's yeah it's a it's a lovely film it's on um amazon prime i believe um and it's definitely worth catching before The uh, dramatized version comes out next year.
0: Cool. I am also going to recommend a documentary. It's a documentary that is available on Hulu in the US and I think is about to come out in the UK. Oh, It's coming out fairly soon. It's called Hail Satan with a question mark at the end uh it's a documentary about the satanic temple which is an organization that started in sort of 2013 essentially as a way of trolling then florida governor rick scott over his kind of um, assertion of you know the importance of religious liberty by saying like well if you believe that uh you know christians can you know, kind of go out and you know kind of read the prayer read the bible you know public events whatever then we should be able to stand on the courthouse steps and invoke a satanic pledge uh and it kind of started out as that and then it has since grown into this massive organization that has chapters all over the world thousands and thousands of members and it's a really good documentary that explores how that process went about how they went from this like basically a handful of guys in florida doing this kind of fun thing Um, to kind of make a point about religious hypocrisy to uh, you know like a organization that does community outreach in you know places all over america that has become a home for people who feel like they uh don't have a a home anywhere else in in organized religion there's there's interviews and there were people who you know grew up in evangelical uh circles who grew apart from uh the the community in which they kind of grew up for various reasons and then found a home through, uh, this quote unquote celebration of Satanism. And it is, I think, you know, it's a very funny movie in places, particularly when it gets into their, um, quest to have a statue of, uh, Behemoth, the kind of goat, Demon uh, put up in an Oklahoma uh, state house next to the uh, Ten Commandments that they have up there. Um, but it's also it's in some cases deeply moving, as you hear these testimonials of people talking about what this new sense of community means to them. Uh, and I think it's it's a really really wonderful uh, little documentary, and uh, everyone should uh, seek it out where possible. Mm. If you've enjoyed this episode of the show, then please subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, Player FM, Spotify, all the usual places. You can rate us, review us, and recommend us to your friends. It's the best way to help us grow our audience. You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter, where we're at SRS underscore podcast. We'll be back next week with something entirely different. But until then, it's goodbye from me.
1: And goodbye from me.
0: And it's goodbye from me.